the Hollywood Trust podcast testimony series, sharing experiences of those affected by the Northern Ireland conflict and those people who have taken the decision to take positive steps for the future. Now here is your host, Eamon Becker. Hello and welcome once again. My name is Eamon Baker and today's interviewee is Derek Moore. Derek Moore works for the Londonderry Bands Forum and he's a member of the William King Memorial Band. Derek is from The Fountain. Welcome Derek. We did this interview a long time ago, Derek, maybe in 2016, but it's great that it's now airing. This podcast is funded by the Central Good Relations Fund, the Reconciliation Fund of the Department of Foreign Affairs, and co-funded by the Derry City and Strabane District Council and the Community Relations Council. Well, the first thing might be um, to invite you to maybe talk a bit about your own life story. And, of course, you would know that there's things that you're happy to say and there's things that you would want to keep private. So you manage what you say in the way that's best for you. I find that dealing with a lot of people are dealing with a lot of things I know you say about being private, but I think we're going past the stage for being private now. You know, now's the time to get our thoughts out and, and our feelings out about about the way things are going. I actually lived very close to here for a long time. I was born up around the corner, up on London Street, where the art gallery was there for a while. My grandfather, he lived there, gas lighting and stuff, so I was born in 1958. Parents loved him at that time. Up on the, the stairs there, I know, placed there with the stairs, amazing map and the, the Jacksons and all left, and the alleyway. There's like a wee alcove there, with the archway at the gate. You know, I, I know where you so mean. So I lived there very close. And then, as I say, my parents got a house and uh, I lived at the top of the hill then. Up there was 10. Uh, ten Do you move from London Street to the top of the hill? London Street to the top of the hill. My father was a coal man. He was also in the B Specials. So we lived at the top of the hill. Just as the garden of scale was sort of, you know, getting ready to be built, kind of thing. Uh, Did you were you living in the like the housing executive houses? Or? Housing executive houses on the on the Stavano Road, right? Going out just just the the ones that's uh, the, the original row was a single row of houses out there. Fields down behind us, fields up in front of us, just a one row of houses going out the out the road towards the buildings. Can I ask why you made the move from the centre of town? Would, would the answer may be that. It was a better house, but probably at that time it was a house. My mother and father moved out of my grandfather's flat, and it was the first house, so they would have been there nineteen fifty nine, whatever. So to say, we lived there up until up until sixty eight, when the tension was just starting to build. Sixty eight's the first civil rights march. Aye, you know, as I say, my father was in the B specials. Can I remember the rifle and all in the house and stuff, and him. Uh, you know, getting dressed and going out in the beach spaces and stuff. And although we had really good neighbours and they're still very friendly with all of them, even right to the stage myself. Good Catholic neighbours, is that what oh, you mean? Always I you know there, there was never there was never no tension. When we were growing up my more far never talked much about politics. In actual fact one of my father's things, the only thing he ever talked about politics was giving off about the Unionist Council here. Because, you know, he more or less said, and when the civil rights started, he more or less said that uh, if it hadn't been for the infiltration that came later, like we, you know, the, the, the tension with the IRA and stuff, we could have supported the civil rights because we were we were just as poorly off as anybody else that they were arguing about at that time. What was your father's name? Jackie. Jackie Murray. Jackie Murray. Yeah. So he came from Bond Street. At that time, then the tension was starting to it was starting to build a bit, and my parents moved. Uh, we moved over to Ross Downey for a short while, yeah, a, a two-bedroom house, and we got a three-bedroom house up on Irish Street for a while. 
and then my father then got a job as a caretaker of the Apprentice Boys Memorial Hall. So we moved in there in 1969. You actually lived in the. We lived in. We lived inside the. And there's an apartment inside there. Uh, it's it's a small set of offices now. Uh. So we lived inside that hall. We lived inside there. Um, my father was a caretaker. No social club and stuff on it then. But uh, then when the social club developed, my father was a he was a he was a bar manager of it, as well as caretaker. We lived there. So I suppose. Well, everybody else, and I always find it ironic when people are talking about the exodus, you know, people moving to the water side, and we were coming the other way in 69, 70. We were moving into the city, not out of it at that point in time. Then that started my association with the fountain. Then in 73, when the band formed, then I was, I played with the church. I was my best friend, Alan Porter, and his father, Drew, taught the Churchill man, Drew Porter. Big music man in the town, played with the operatic society and stuff, a flute player. So he took us to the band. We 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 learned. This is the William Kings. No, no, this was the Churchills. He was on. Yeah. But when the William King formed, then because I could play, I was asked. You know, I, you know, I was asked to play, and I was only sort of you know, sixteen or so, whatever. Um, but I could play. You know, one of the few people that could. So then I I, I joined the band. There I was I've been in it ever since. So. So basically, in a roundabout way, that's how I worked in the building trade all my life. So I probably come at this community angle from a slightly different perspective. I applied for a job that I seen I could do. I maybe seen it in a different way that the people that originally applied for the funding saw what a band swarm could do. But I had ideas that it could do a lot more than they thought. So basically, that's why I applied for it. And, and uh, you know, funny thing about... Uh, part of the criteria for the job was um, third level education and but experience you know you could apply with experience but then when you know so when I got the interview for the job you know to my horror it says you had to do a 25 minute PowerPoint presentation now at that point I, I couldn't even turn on a computer I didn't know didn't work computers didn't wasn't I was more used to grinders and drills and stuff in my work. In the well, what was your work, Derek? What work? I, I was a tagging contractor. I was yeah. self-employed for from 1990 up to 2013. So I worked for myself, as I say, on all the building sites. And all, uh, that, that's why I thought I came at this from a unique angle. But to say, you know, part of the interview was that I had a, you know, do a PowerPoint presentation. So I just couldn't figure what they, you know, thought what to do. So. I went about it in a different way. I created a booklet of my interview and got it printed out. There was four people in the interview panel. Got the booklets printed out and took them in and handed them out and said, instead of doing a PowerPoint presentation, because what I'm going to talk about is fairly complex, uh, I'll give you the, the, this is my presentation in a booklet form so you can mark parts that you want me to re-explain or go over again uh, rather than them to be lost in a PowerPoint presentation. So I did that. I did it like that there because I couldn't do the PowerPoint presentation. Yeah, but it worked all right for me, you know. Yeah, you know, given your work in in the building trade and your self-employment over twenty three years, what was your unique perspective on the job, which is different from the way it had been set up with the funders? For a start, the budget of it was set up. No matter what they wanted to do, they were going to have to employ people to facilitate it because. They were maybe expecting like somebody who was in that community role or in that community role of some sort, simply to move into another coordinating role saying, Right, I'm looking after the bands for now, I have to do, you know, three conferences and I have to do such and such a training, so I'll get these people to do that and I'll do this and I'll work so my thing was that the job can only really be done right by somebody who was in a band who knew 
the amount of time it takes to be in a band, the practice, the playing, the whole works. People haven't got time to be dragged off two nights a week to do something different as well, more training, more this. So things had to be tailored around what the, what, what the, what the job would entail. And for the most part, I had 40 years experience and I kind of knew what kind of training we should be getting, what kind of advice we should be getting, the, the people who you could push and the people who you had to cajole and the bands that you could work with by simply asking or the bands that you had to more or less manipulate and they, and they help them. There's that whole gambit because bands are, are groups of people who are very independent, very fearsomely independent of each other. Bands would be looking to get the better players out of one band and their band, stuff like that. There was a lot of this poaching of players and stuff. So one of the things that I created was, uh, and the thing was turning around saying, if your your band's not the best playing band, you've two or three of them young boys are really, really good, bring them to our band. They can come and practice with us and whatever, and they can learn and satisfy their own needs in playing wise or musical wise. Anytime that you're doing anything, you're your own band. They don't miss their own band practice or they don't miss their own band parades or contests or concerts or stuff like that. But they're taking back, they're getting taught by and playing with better people, playing better stuff. They're taking that back and they're increasing the capacity of the, their own band. And that I can myself, I went and played then with the Hamels, the Churchills and the Britannias. You know, I would get that scope that I could go and play with those bands where I would never have dreamt of sort of asking could I come and do a bit of playing but you know once we get into the sort of once we get into it everybody was in it together as a forum you know it was okay to go and play with you know other people try different things try different styles of music try different styles work with different conductors work with different teachers uh, and that just generally increased the whole value of the whole forum thing and, then, and increase the whole skill base skill base skill level and just raised everybody uh, uh, raised yeah. that standard up and then that more or less kind of culminated then um you know when like a, like in the wall city tattoo and the pan celtic and stuff like that where the groups of musicians were able to come together not just from our bands well you know from nationalist bands in the town from nationalist bands from japan just whole melder of people people from germany people from france Reliably come and play in this one big collective thing, you know. Through funding issues, it sort of dwindled away this year, this back this year as a as a st- an indoor thing, you know. This is the tattoo, the tattoo, yeah, you know. So that there was a real could have been a real big starter. And the tattoo in Basel started, uh, I don't know, fifteen or twenty years ago. They were getting four thousand people, you know. Now it's generating twenty million pound a year. The Basel in Switzerland, the tattoo, you know, we felt that if we could get that going, you know, this it could be it could be a real big money spinner for the city long term. Yeah. You know. And right across the city. R- right across. Everybody was involved in it. Irish dancers, Scottish dancers, musicians from Pipers from Colin Kill, you know, St Joseph's Straban, William King, Howland Band, Britannia Band, the whole, you know, Cross Keys from Germany, Paris Fire Brigade, you know, the whole that whole development. Yeah, so what I'm hearing, Derek, is there's local thinking, but then there's uh, national or international thinking as well. Well, I, I because we have the talent. Yeah. You know, uh, maybe in the band's world we were a bit reticent at pushing it forward, whereas the the, the cultists and the flannel, you know, weren't weren't frightened of pushing Marcus and Murray forward. Ken and Carolyn as brilliant flute players and stuff like that there. You know, we're kinda we're parochial on our on our outlook. 
When you say we, who do you the, mean? The, the bands. No, the bands were was, was very parochial and thinking. Only in the past few years we've started to say, you know, we have the people here. We have the quality of musicians. The whole city's been renowned for musicians in all, all our lives. Whereas we never participated in that. It, it was the thing that we didn't, that we for a long time uh, didn't grasp and say, we're actually part of all this. You know, we're a big part of it. As far as I understand, you played a lead role in beginning or being part of conversations with the people that were organising the flat. Well, Is that accurate? No, probably wouldn't be accurate to say it. Probably at the start I was one of the people who were a bit sceptical. Not sceptical of, of the FLA and whatever. The whole thing, as, as is everything in Northern Ireland, the whole thing revolves around uh, the political structure of it. And unfortunately, a lot of the leading lights on the FLA were, 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 were Sinn Féin oriented. Yeah. So therefore, there was that initial reticence, although at no time were they pushing any sort of political agenda. But at the same time, you're... You know, you're guilty by association. Uh, so if you're talking to Jerry O'Hara, even though he may be very welcoming, very friendly, perfect, perfect example. He, uh, part of you saying, "Well, this is a Sinn Féin man. This is a former member of the Provisional IRA." Uh, you know, I mean, uh, to be honest, I didn't know, I didn't know Jerry from Adam. To be honest, you know, when I met him, uh, actually, when I met him, uh, as, as then and now, I've always been very impressed by his his honesty. Well, it seems like honesty to me. I just take it the way I find it. To be honest, he's been a good help w- within the whole structure of uh, of politics. You know, he, he, he opened doors that, that probably would never have been opened for ourselves. And his, his whole structure around the FLA thing, the, the thing for us is, I had played in FLAs three or four times. Uh, you had? You know, we, we had played in FLAs. Uh, we been the, the, the... William King. Yeah. You know, we had went to, uh, you know, there were local FLAs, like Burton Port uh, or uh, whatever, down Daniel... Daniel O'Donnell country down Cashla and uh, uh, and down down that way, you know, local local flash. Plus, we had also played had also played at the international music festival in Limerick, which is over the St Patrick's Day weekend. Although it's not St Patrick's Day as such, but you know, so it's a main parade. And I think you know one of the last times that we were there, you know, the irony of the whole thing for us was that when we were in Limerick, there was like a 500 metre judging part in the main parade. It was a huge parade, you know, 10, 20,000 people. It would sort of rival the Relief of Dairy Parade here in the city. Uh, we're waiting there to go, you know, we're playing. There are 10,000 people with tricolor saying, play the sash. Two months later, you're in your own city, and there are 50 people spitting over barriers at the corner. You know, and the irony of the whole thing is, is encapsulated in that, you know, people are there wanting to hear the music and the people are here wanting to be offended. You know, and that, that, that sort of jailed me for quite a while after that. I could sort of see that, you know, it was actually the music that was a powerful thing. And you, you said initially there was a, there was a retinence in you to, to, to deal with Jerry and the flower no, no, not, 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 not in that sort of way. Um, a lot of people weren't weren't really weren't really sure what it was. Politicians probably on the PEL side would be turning around saying the initial time that the the UK City of Culture was announced on a Thursday night, uh, we we were we were band practice in, in the Memorial Prentice Boys Memorial Hall, and Kieran Turish was up at the hall and he wanted to interview someone about it, and I was put forward at that time. Uh, they speak to Karen and, and I said at that time that I thought it was a really good thing that, that the city was getting that but I said there was a lot of work to be done because I felt that a lot of what the, had been said on the on the news reports that night made it sound as if we were perfect here 
you know, for it. And I said, you know, a lot of it sounded like we were papering over the cracks, you know. And if we're going to if we're going to have this, you know, this big uh, year of events, then you know the people need to start to look at each other's culture and what they're at, and and not paper over the cracks, but actually, you know, get together and see what we're really doing here. So, at the time the flat thing came up, the the the, the, the initial meetings weren't with us, or weren't with the, weren't with the band's form at that time. But we were members of the band's form, but the initial was was a like a the Northwest Cultural Forum on the Waterside, and basically those meetings were going nowhere, and the bands as part of the the bands forum at that time, there was a residential in Korean where where the matter was brought up uh, around the table, and people were saying, I don't see any point on us going there or whatever, and then the, the people who had played the, like the church halls and our sales and all who had been in Limerick and all said. This is more about music. It's not about po- politics. You know, the, these people are genuine people. The people we have met all through the Fly engagement, the International Bands Festival engagement, were genuine music people. They didn't give a monkey's about. You know, there, there were bands from the Shanko and bands from Belfast and Limerick. You know, marching away just as and having nights out in Limerick just as handy as having a night out in Belfast or, or wherever. So we were saying it's it's not actually about that. So then somebody says. Well then, why don't we go? You know, and then from that, it's just, well, so, you know, why don't we go? So the big thing for us was that they wanted to carry every, everybody with them. So they just turned around and said, look, anybody wants to go, no problem. Like there'll be no, there'll be no criticism from anybody else. So four of the bands played on the, the gig rig ourselves. Uh, we didn't participate in the fly, but we took uh, master classes at St Collins Park House now for young people and stuff. We wanted to come and hear about bands and stuff like that. There, just a, a generalisation. But we, we didn't play in the flat because that was the first year of the Wall City Tattoo. And in that August period, uh, between rehearsals uh, and performances at the tattoo and stuff, we, we were engaged 23 nights out of out of 31, or you know 23 occasions. You know, so to add another couple of nights on for the flat was just, it, it was basically impossible. So that that's that's why we weren't really involved in, in the flat part of it and the playing end. Who did play in the flat now? The church house played on the gig rig at uh, Victoria Market and Caw, uh, Pride Orange and Blue from New Buildings and Burntollard from Claudie played in the gig rigs on the waterside. You know, and every every single one of them went down, you know, really well. Uh, I think a thing stands out for me was uh, the flag was a week after the relief parade here in the city and Simon Mowbray, the conductor of the church house, stood up at the, before they played the first thing and says, this first tune we're going to play, we played it for the first time last Saturday at the Apprentice Boys Parade. And it doesn't even cause a ripple. You know, it doesn't cause a security worries and all that was at the start. You know, how's it going to look? You know, bands coming and they crossing the guild hall, they, they, you know, with bass drums and uniforms and stuff. I think the sad thing for us was, at that time, looking back now, there was no criticism from politicians on, on the union side, but there was no support. There was a waiting game to see if something that happened looked as if they could have stepped on and says, told you so, told you so. Nothing did happen, therefore they could say nothing and they didn't say nothing. So they never spoke in praise of the never, partnership never, work never, and never, the never association? And a matter of fact, people you know, would still be critical of that sort of engagement. You've continued that engagement, Derek, because you went down to Sligo? I've been in Sligo the last two years. There was that one engagement between the bands for them and the fly. Four of the bands played, we did the master classes. Then the next year, 
another man from New Belton's, uh, not the, not the one that played in the, the fly here, not the older bush. They they, <laughs> went, they went to uh, this is Kenny. Uh, and, uh, yeah, they uh, they went and played in Sligo with the Kelly band. There was a whole series of events where where they came to practice and stuff together, playing the same tunes. You kind of realised that the band was playing some tunes that the Kelly band played, just two different names. You know, it was the exact same music. Then the band paraded in the main Sligo parade. The only people that shouted anything on, two or three boys from Armagh, but that was quickly subdued by the flag Church. and Sligo. You yeah. know, I spoke at two or three events down at it. So say at that next engagement, there was there was about four or five sort of PUL sort of engagement things, apart from the band now playing me speaking and somebody else chatting. Then subsequent to that, I spoke in a couple of places. Bands from Fermanagh played in the Newton Butler flag. The next year in Sligo, there was 11 PUL type events. Talks so that's playing. 2015? A band from Fermanagh played at that, and then there was people down doing talks on merchant band culture, on, on, on different things, interactive things. And so it's a growing, evolving process? It's evolving. The problem is now it's an Ennis, it's forever, you know, it's 100 million miles away down the road. and uh, The big thing always is, is probably the same struggle that they have as we have. It's finances, you know, getting a band to come. Bands are not the getting four or five musicians, 35, 40 people, they, they house and that there, and it's a big expense for, for the flyer or anybody. But I think the big thing for us is not about, and it's something that I discussed and, and, and sort of says, not only were we involved in the flyer, we're involved in the pan-Celtic stuff here too. It's not really important for us to be there. The important thing is for us to know if we wanted to be there, there's no problem. We struggle to get through the year ourselves, the amount of stuff we have to do, the amount of playing, you know, the amount of rehearsal, contests, uh, commemoration parades, ordinary competition band parades, ordinary support band parades for raising finance and stuff. There's not much to do, you know, that and stuff that, that, that you don't really normally do. Next time on the Hollywell Trust Testimony Series, we broadcast the live testimony session of Liam McCluskey. During the hunger strike, he followed Kevin Lynch as a hunger striker. His testimony session is a very moving account what drew him into the Republican struggle, what reasons he had for joining the hunger strike, what happened during the hunger strike, and what happened after. One night, I think it was 19 paratroopers killed in Narrow Water, and we heard the news and his blocks, we all cheered. That night, I prayed for their souls, and I thought, you can't be doing that, you can't cheer on one hand and pray for souls on the other hand. So it was all those contradictions going on. Then after much mental turmoil, I decided to cut ties with Republicanism, and go the way of the spirit. Missed an episode? Then why don't you search for all our podcasts on our soundcloud.com page. Just search for Hollywell Trust. Or on Apple Podcasts, search for Hollywell Trust. Some, some people use these terms, that the vision or the mission of the Londonderry Bands Forum. What would you say that is? What, what, why do you exist? Our mission, our vision, whatever it is, is, is quite simple. It's the challenge of preconceptions and misconceptions about marching bands. Most people view marching bands as what they see uh, or what they have seen. A huge media problem that, that we are overcoming here in the city by positiveness, uh, and we do media training and stuff like that, and we, we and speak to media people. You deliver the media training, or you? No, we, we hire the, this minute in time, uh, Paul McFadden and that, Leapfrog. I know Paul, yeah. Yeah, really, really good, really straightforward. Even talking to the bands, you know, he, he explains it in a media perspective. The colourful way bands look, you know, they're, they're out there in the front, the noise, the spectacle. 
When they're presenting a news program about violence, it's easy to flash back the noise, music and colour to help enhance that, you know, the visual aspect of it rather than 50 men standing around suits and, and, and collarettes and stuff. You know, the bands add more, more visual attraction to a media story. Mm. You know, there was, there was times here in the city when there was, well, back in the times where there was trouble, they were showing trouble at Butcher Gate five, six hours after the commemoration parades had finished. But they were still using images of the bands marching as if it was. And, and people de- directly people, related people to. People directly correlate the bands with the violence because one of the first things I launched here in this very building when I got this job with work with Sue Devlin and that at the Good Relations City Council was the marching bands activity sheet for the work we started to do in schools and education work. Part of the vision was sort of maybe I selected it, you know, maybe not. Uh, probably did to challenge them <laughs> preconceived ideas and, and misconceptions about what bands are about and people were saying one or two days a year and nobody was thinking what do them boys do they are 363 days a year how do they know all them tunes how do they get to that standard where do they get all the money to buy that gear there's a whole raft of stuff around being a band uh, around organising and all that there so one of the first things we did is I say launched here that activity sheet pretty simple straightforward thing but it asked a lot of awkward questions the first time we trialled it was in St Cecilia's and I had four classes in one day for 16 year old girls and I thought well it's only four hours work or whatever four, 40, 40 minute periods and I thought that'll be later on so we, we went there and that first day I'm expecting to field questions I was kind of waiting on the questions about you know periods and waiting on the hard questions waiting on all this here you know what I thought you know the first question came up was why is there not so many girls in that Protestant band? Uh, do, do you discriminate against girls? Then the next sort of question was, uh, what do you do about disabled people? Is there any gay people in the bands? Uh, I just flummoxed. You know, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't, couldn't get a grip on it at all. As I say to the teachers up there, you know, I came, I came home after that day at five o'clock and I had to go to bed. I was that tired. You know, <laughs> I was I was astounded about the amount of effort it took something to get through that day uh, trying to explain what I thought was I know a lot about this I can talk it easy mm. you know, but I didn't get the questions I was expecting and that has been the way it's gone on ever since there hasn't been th- there's parts on it about what do you think about parades do you think we could use parades as part of tourism and, and that wor- it works probably when we do it with adult groups is when those questions come out more because we simply talk about it among ourselves as growing up on it or growing up as part of it where the young people that we find at school age now are not talking about those things. They have a different outlook on life, which is really great for us. Right? So you didn't, when you went to St. Cecilia's, you didn't get people saying, these bands are sectarian, these bands are uh, incite violence, they cause violence? When we started to explain it, I think, and, and then we were back in St. Cecilia's yeah, a couple of months later, and Karen Therese was there and interviewed the girls and interviewed the teachers and all. I and saw they, that piece, and, yeah. And, you know, those young girls says, you know, before I spoke to these people, I thought bands equal violence, but I realise now that there's, they do a lot of things, you know. Yeah. It's not it's not about violence. The thing we always say is, being in charge of a band is like being a social worker. You're walking on eggshells with some people, you can, I'm not saying bully, but you can you can cajole other people, you know, th- for things to get done and stuff like that there. Bands are, they don't discriminate against having no money. You still get a uniform, you still get an instrument, you still get taught. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're, you're, you've loads of money or you have no money. If you have no money, you don't have to pay to go anywhere. You know, you don't have to pay. It's all about the collective. It's it's not about penalising individuals for having no money. 
and some bands and some aspects. You keep an eye on people that you know don't come from the best of homes. Uh, you look out for telltale signs of, of basic, you know, I'm not saying neglect or not, but you know, you're aware of circumstance, you know, because there's such a an age range from probably 70s, 80s down to 10 years of age. There's a range of people keeping an eye out for everybody, that whole collective thing. Yeah. I think that people don't even think about they do we bands, you know, I think bands, right, music and all this here. No, but there's everything, everything's involved in it. A big push for us is education. A big thing in the forum is we would say, although we like all our members to be at everything we do, if you have your schoolwork to do or if you have work, you don't be taking off work to do stuff for the band unless you can really do it. But if it's the way jobs are now, if your work requires you to be working, then you're working regardless. Or if your school requires you to be studying, then you be studying regardless. So this is the sort of things that we try and impart the younger people in the band and sort of generation growing up and saying there's more important things than being in the band and that they really do come first. I think for us going forward, I think we, we do show the way in the city. I don't take credit for what happened in the, in, in the sort of early 90s when the Apprentice Boys and the Bogside Residents and the, and the city centre people you know, got together and really set the tone for the city uh, as regards commemorative parading and stuff. I know things weren't perfect, or things probably aren't 100% perfect even yet, but as Protestants, we know we live in a nationalist city. Uh, you know, Is that how you see it there, like it's a nationalist city? Well, I mean, you know, you'd have to turn around and say, whatever it is, 98% of the people are... are, are, are from that background. You know, and, and when, you look at, when you look at the voting trends, the bulk of the people will vote for... SDLP and Sinn Féin. As far as I can see, SDLP and Sinn Féin have a nationalist policy, regardless of what you think. Yeah, oh, nationalist being ultimately they want United Ireland. I'm beginning to wonder now, you know, after the Scottish stuff and all that there, and, and the austerity measures especially, parties wouldn't commit to it. United Ireland, as Johnny Burgess, as being a playwright, says United Ireland is not going to be the quiet man. It's not going to be Maureen O'Hara with a, with a red hair and, and Pints of stout and stuff like that. You know, United Ireland's about reality. How do we finance the health service? What will our education system look like? What will our infrastructure look like? You know, how will people's pensions be affected? The problem with the nationalist people who feel about United Ireland now is how do you get people to take that leap of faith that, that everything's going to be better? I think with the austerity measures, we live in a city where, where people are reliant on, on, on benefit systems. If that benefit system is not going to be as much in another part, I don't feel threatened by United Ireland because I don't feel people could vote for it. Working people may not vote for it because of their thoughts for the future. People who are needing benefits may not, may not vote for it because they worry about what they would get. And the biggest thing for me is, and this is the one thing that I have seen in the two and a half years I've been in the community sectors, the amount of jobs dependent on Northern Ireland and British and still at odds with, with itself is astronomical. How could those people vote to become part of? You uh, mean that the, the volunteer community sector yeah. or some people call the peace well, district would go if it was United well, Ireland? The, the, the problem I have, and you know, people say to me, you, you can't speak it, you shouldn't speak like that at meetings or whatever, and I say, you know what, it doesn't bother me because I was a good tailor on the building side, I could be back doing that. Ultimately, for you to do your job right means that at the end of it you have no job because you have achieved you have achieved the peace. It's a double-edged sword. You can't do your job right because you're going to do yourself out of a job. And if you're not doing your job right, then what are we doing anything for? And I know it's a strange attitude for some people, but you know, people who have who have become on the sort of community work and stuff like that there and are relying on it for their mortgage, you know, where is the benefit? 
to create a peace that they have no job. It's almost like what you're saying is that people have a vested interest and they're not being peace. Well, you, you, you work here. I'm sure you, you must feel that yourself at times. Yeah. Maybe you don't. That's just a view I have. Yeah. My, my view is there are a lot of good people there with a lot of good, a lot of good thoughts. But ultimately, the big driver and, and all the work that we do is... Keep yourself in the job. Creating that next bit of work, you know. I want to take you back to your perception of the city as a nationalist city. And the, here's the, the question, because I've talked, as you, as you might guess, with Johnny Burgess about this as well. Do you feel at home here? I feel perfectly at home here. I have no issues. I, I, I love being in this city. I love it. I consider myself a British citizen. But I also consider myself... Basically, if it boiled down to it, I consider myself an ordinary Protestant. That's why I have no bother that. I have no issues. No issues about fairly comfortable, you know, comfortable with my own culture, comfortable with other cultures. People are fixated in things because of where I came from, uh, because of you know the work I did for working on building sites. Not really thinking very, very much to be honest with you about what the politics of the country was, what what people did, you know, what, what community workers did, what funding groups did, you know, how, how we connected with the, the police, uh, how we connected with the council, with the government. I came on that with a sort of, it's all brand new to me. Everything that I saw it really did change my opinion. They say that, you know what, it's not good enough simply to say nothing and do nothing. There is a case for sort of saying, hang on a minute, that's not right. How could we change that? But there, what way will that work? I question all decisions made against funding things with the council. Question things to do with the arts council on the, on the distribution of arts towards Belfast and the city here. I question the fact maybe in the in the controlled schools now. I question the fact of their reticence to sort of say that they want to discuss things with their pupils about Protestant culture, about about bands, about band music and stuff by saying that. We're a control school, you know, we're open to everyone. That's fair enough. That's, I'm, I'm really glad out there because I want to tell the story to everybody. But what I'm saying to them is, in the maintenance sector, I wouldn't hear a teacher saying, we wouldn't say that these people here are traditional musicians or fiddle players or ballroom players. We, we wouldn't not say that our school is proud of them. Whereas in the, in the control schools, you know, I, I often put up the thing saying, if young people are standing on a bus stop, Young Catholics with borons and fiddles and stuff like that are classed as musicians. The young Protestants are standing there with side drums and flutes. They're classed as thugs. It's a public perception that people have and say, oh, they're in a band. Well, so what? They're in a group of 30 musicians. They're not in a group of four musicians sitting playing, but they're still traditional musicians. Do you find it easier to work with maintained schools and controlled schools? Is that what well, you're saying, David? Most of our work is done in Catholic schools. But there again, I can turn around and say, the most of the schools in our city are Catholic. Yeah. You know what I mean? But what I'm saying is there's a thought process in the maintained schools that say we want our pupils to hear everything and make up their own mind. And there's a thought process at this moment, uh, I know it's maybe coming right a bit and we're really working hard on that. And the control sector, they say, we'll stay away from anything to do with Protestants or bands because, you know, we kind of want to be neutral. We don't want to be, we don't want to do anything. Rather than say, hang on a minute, like, okay, so you're a Protestant and you are a Protestant and that's, that's okay, that's the way you are. You know, we're kind of frightened to say that in case it offends somebody. It just seems that way to me, that there, there's no there's no confidence in, in, in turning around and saying, you know what, this country's full of people. They're, they think that, they think this, and they think that, but we're all on together. And, and that's just, just, it's a simple, it seems like a simple wee thing to me to say. 
Why would you feel you can't say you're a Protestant? Why would you feel you can't say you're a Catholic? If you're not harming nobody, then you know what? That's just what you are. You know, you're a Man United supporter. You're you're a Liverpool supporter. That's the same sort of thing. Well, why do you think there is reticence in in the controlled schools? Apart from the fact a lot of schools are are, are results driven now, are are driven by you know uh, statistics and stuff. Maybe they feel there's not the scope to get the cultural stuff under the school at that time. I don't know. But what we have found is, and what we have been told in some areas by ex-teachers and stuff, that a lot of the problems uh, is on the governance side of the schools. People are sort of voted on these jobs and stuff. Are you talking uh, about class here as well, uh, there? You know, more middle class uh, perspective? Yeah, there's a perception. And, and it's a perception that we have all the time. I mean, if I, if I stood up at Stormont and said, uh, I'm here to represent... Uh, a band. Now, I turn around and say at the Arts Council, they support the biggest band in the country, and you call that band the Ulster Orchestra. And somebody plays on the band, uh, the Young Boys Band at New Baldwin's, Pride Orange and Blue. There is no perception of difference in this country as a whole. If I was calling the Ulster Orchestra a band and the Pride Orange and Blue Young Boys a band, those two bands would be equal in everybody's eyes, regardless of the golf and technique, class and structure. Everybody is judged on the on the list. So what you'd be saying is the, the, the band in New Buildings deserves as much support from the Arts Council as the Ulster Orchestra? As a matter of fact, they deserve more because when you look at it, uh, I turned around and put up the argument last week, the two principal flute players, for the sake of arguing, and the Ulster Orchestra in minute, are both from a band. James Galway played in a band like the Pride of the Ridge and Blue and mm-hmm. Humbert in Belfast. There is talent there. Uh, so the band is a talent pool that if it's supported well, I, 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 can I, I rise put, up I, I put it this way, I say if the Ulster Orchestra is the pinnacle of the pyramid in the band's world you know, then it's very negligent of the Arts Council to chip away at the foundations of that pinnacle because that doesn't do the pinnacle much good Yeah, you know? and you perceive the Arts Council chipping away as eroding I the, mean, they, the base they, they don't, you know and, and it's not, not just their fault you know, because it's political decision the, the band's world is a political football you know so no matter what so every negative every single negative impact of a band you know, if I said you you know give me an incident of, of a band behaving badly what would you say I could tell you what it's going to be but you, you, you tell me what it is I would think of a band associated with UVF maybe in the Diamond uh, oh, you would think a city. You would think in this city. I'm saying, you know, in, gen, in, in general, you know, uh, if, uh, band uh, stopped what, outside St Patrick's and you know that, that, that is, yeah. you know, that is the one image that comes up all the time. And and if I, if I you know, and I, and I say then right, okay, so that's it. You know, that happened on the 12th of July, 2012. There's 660 bands in this country. If each one of those bands marched 50 times, then that's one incident out of 30,000. If that was a football match, the police would say it was an unbelievably well-behaved football match, you know. this And this is the thing that we try to get over to all the bands and, and through all the training and stuff we do. You put on a uniform, you're an ambassador for our culture. You're standing pissing on the street. That does not reflect well on our culture. You're behaving badly uh, outside of, you know, and I didn't actually realise that this circle thing was actually, it's a Belfast thing anyway. The fact that it was there, one of the best things about that I heard recently was the painting aspect, the painting thing with why did the painting, you know, yeah. the painting with that the was the like, a, like a Clue Klux Klan. I, I revisited the scene and you know what, for the criticism that, that, that the man got for doing that painting, from an artist's point of view, he, he, he picked that perfectly. It did look like that. That band was 
subsequently, although as it goes round and round in circles, they, they sort of uh, they weren't prosecuted for it and end up. It was just some sort of warning. You know, for all intents and purposes, that ban was left on their own as it regards the court. The people that employed them, the Orange Order, didn't support that ban. You know, they stood about and allowed that to happen. Were they in total control? You know, if, if you employ somebody to do work at your house, you don't let them do exactly what they want. You tell them what you want them to do. That's part of the work we did here with the Prentice Boys, Orange Order, Black Perceptive, the Marshals, the, and the creation of the Maiden City Accord. And we're turning around saying, we all have our collective responsibility for this. Our responsibility to turn up well, behave well, play well, dress well, look well, whatever, to enhance the spectacle of what we're trying to achieve. Their responsibility as the people who employ us, all the communication aspects, the dealing with the Preach Commission, the dealing with the local area. Uh, one, of the, one of the big things we put on was the dealing with the churches and chapels and stuff. We took a view that during the creation of that, that to be honest, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of churches. I don't go to church. Anywhere I go in the world, I, I visit all the big churches and the cathedrals and stuff like that. And in all the places I go in the world, the churches and our own cathedral appear as a perfect example. Our businesses, cathedral appears on concerts, uh, uh, cultural events, talks, the, yeah. the, the whole works. They need to sustain themselves now. And it was in Italy, uh, the beatification of a saint was, was happening in the cathedral at Chernobyl. But the tourists were still allowed in. They look, they look around, light candles, buy stuff, take photos. While this was going on, I was in the Domo in, in Milan, 48 euros to get in, look around it, St Paul's Cathedral, you can get in while the church services and all is on. One of our big things was that, that the churches have allowed themselves to be politicised too in the country, which has caused conflict about parading issues too. As I say, I'm a big supporter of churches and the Accord. We looked at uh, communication, uh, leaving lines of communication open, so many days and they're they're laid in the church and stuff you know and there's going to be a, a, a parade on you know it needs to be a form of communication that people respect and not not do anything you know but at the same time if a church is lying empty with the doors shut nobody's disrespecting it and 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 the people in the parade as we have we have put on you know are saying it's just an order you know it's an order building on the road it's not there to be disrespected and if it is disrespected then then there is issues about that but at the same time, we have allowed the church issue and parades to become synonymous with, with tension and violence. We felt that that should never have been. Uh, the, the churches, I mean, when the Pope came to Ireland, you know, they held a mass in a field. You know, they didn't stop the cows going back in. At the Hillsborough stuff last year, the mass was held in Anfield. The boys were still playing football on the Saturday and the crowds were still on cheering. You know, it's the people. When there are people in the churches, there must be total respect. When the churches are around empty, they're only been used as, a, as another stumbling block. It's coming across to me is this is about mutual understanding and about mutual respect. It has to be. It has to be. And then that relates in my mind to the question uh, I was asking. You see the city as a nationalist city, but are you comfortable in the city? And I was really pleased to hear that you are. But I suspect that for some Protestant people, it doesn't feel that comfortable here. Would that be accurate? I can't speak for how other people think. I'm only saying from what I've seen, and maybe a lot of people may be like me, they don't actually give it that much thought. They don't need to give it that much thought unless it's concerning them directly. Unless maybe there's hostility towards them or being picked on in some kind of way. Unless they get affected by it. But I mean, anybody that faces hostility, I mean, I live in the fountain for a long time. There's a wall up there that, that is used for as far as I'm concerned, it's used for fun. 
they call it the peace wall, you know, and groups on either side of that there use that wall as, as a division thing to seek funding. No, could, you, could you say a wee bit more about that? Well, As you I'm, might imagine, I'd be very interested. <laughs> no, well, you know, maybe that's probably not an opinion that everybody have. But what I would say is, and I lived there, the block of flats that I lived on are now away. They were on the wall, and I lived on the upper flat. I lived there for five years. I never saw a single stone been thrown. And in recent years, there have been issues about damage to cars on the fountain and stuff like that there. There have been issues to odds and ends. Part of my work is, I, I sit in the triax board here on the city side, I listen, Rosemont, Gallia, you know, it's antisocial. It's not sectarian violence. It's antisocial violence. And uh, you think that the it's antisocial violence that get labelled sectarian when it's in, in when around it suits, that wall? When it suits. And that's to attract funding? For me, when it suits, probably a controversial thing to say, but I live there, I look at it, and I know that people are working there. People who are working there are doing a great job, but they're doing a great job between people. That the wall is insignificant. Would you take the wall down, there? I, I wouldn't take the wall down. There was never that much access into the fountain, say, for the sake of argument. That wall there now keeps antisocial behaviour out. It stops cars driving down through a place. would be very susceptible in the city centre, the vehicle traffic and stuff like that there. And the thing I would point out is, the last big housing development that, that the city built, and not maybe not even the city, but you know whoever built it, the apex housing at the north side, it's very interesting to, to note that they put a wall around it with gates on it, so that the people that lived inside it didn't have people wandering through the middle of their uh, shortcuts or climbing over their gardens or going to their yards and the way home from nightclubs and stuff like that there. A lot of things is th- that are from the past, it was there at one time as a peace wall, a security wall. No, there's no doubt about it, that was there at that time, but it's been there that long now. People are used to living in that sort of peace and isolation, and they say, take the wall down to, to open up the city for just for the sake of people walking through it. And I don't think, to be honest, that the people in Bishop Street want to breach their open any more than the people in the fountain do. Simply to stop gangs coming from trying to get to the water side, coming round, round, round the city and down that way, and you know, just as a, yeah. as a shortcut. I'm a wee bit confused by what you're saying, because on the one hand, I hear you saying the wall exists... Uh, to draw funding down when people present there's a problem here in our city there's an interface and we need funding to keep us going either side of the wall to be able to deal with this and on the other hand you're saying keep the wall up I know but I, I'm not saying keep the wall up but the people here looking for the funding are saying there's there, there's interface violence I now live at the top of Irish Street the very very top house in Irish Street coming on the Golden Scale right now people say that's a massive interface. I spent two years... It's a massive interface. Uh, so I spent two years in St. Collins for house saying, I live there. There's no bother. You know, you get the odd bit of boy coming past three in the morning, full shouting and roaring, uh, but you get that everywhere. It's not, it's not, not to say it's, uh, you know, it's mm-hmm. any one thing or the other. There's no wall there. What I'm saying about the fountain is that it's not about taking the wall away because of... Uh, uh, because it would be violence or, or, or this here. It's been sealed off that long. People are living in a cul-de-sac. And people who live in a cul-de-sac love to live in a cul-de-sac. They, they don't want any new stuff there. They don't want anything. Let's face it, we live in a walled city. You wouldn't dream of taking the walls down. Somebody open it up a bit. It takes me back to my point of view about community work. It's all about creating that sort of illusion of needing money for, for to do something else. A very, very cynical view of it. I call it the alphabet industry because everything simply comes with a, with a, with a label, you know. 
Alphabet and those are like uh, Arts Council. OFM, DFM, ACNI, DRD, DECAL. Nothing has a name, everything has an initial. It seems to me that you've come into this with a great sense of yourself. Uh, you know, in a, I mean that in a respectful way, and that you're respecting yourself, and you're 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 saying to yourself, "But I have a question here. I'm going to ask that question." Uh, and the way forward is for us to be asking questions of each other in a respectful way. So you would ask questions, I would guess, of Jerry O'Hara of on the FLA committee of Inculterland, and depending on the answers you get, you will know whether you can work with these people, whereas maybe other people in the Protestant community would say, "We'll stay over here." will not ask questions would that be right that's right for me but i i also ask those questions of the of the unionist party of the democratic unionist party of, of people that i know why would we not do that if we went under the decision of the band's home to go to the symphony or days i kind of didn't really want to go there myself only for the simple reason that i was going to be the one that had to do the talking you wanted a presence but not necessarily you speaking mm-hmm. When I started in, in 2013, an event that had been planned was marching bands on the square, Neverton Square. The people, Brian Doherty, who was the director at St. Collins Park House, had been involved in the early parts of the planning and that, and dealing with ILEX and stuff. And Brian was in South Africa. So I, I was, I'd was i been there two weeks, and this event was to take place in uh, October. And ILEX says that all the conditions weren't met, uh, and they put everything in the way, and you had to do this, and you contact and safety advisory group and stuff like that done then they wanted me to, to discuss it with the uh, local residents and look at that done they wanted me then to discuss it with the council and then they demanded then that I met Sinn Féin direct to discuss it with them and it was all about flags and emblems and stuff like that there. We kind of got around it a great deal by discussion. The first time I'd ever met, uh, well I'd met Jerry O'Hara before as part of the, the sort of band's forum delegation but not part of my work. So when we met Andy McCartney and Paul Fleming at St. Collins Park House with the band that was organising it, the flags and all are part of the band, it's part of the spectacle, part of the parade. Um, you know, it will be respectful or whatever. It's not there to offend anybody. Anybody can come and see it. It's not a, a Union Jack fest or whatever it was. I said, maybe one of the better things to do is, would you send representatives to come and I'll meet you and you can watch it? And you make up your own mind about it. And I says, I'm going to do a complete evaluation after the whole thing. Everyone I've spoken to, everyone that we've dealt with, and see what their thoughts are on the event uh, and how it affected them. And being Sinn Féin, they turn around and says, I know Bar will be there. So they arrived. You know, a few of the things on that day, Alex was, will bands be playing the sash? I said, they're playing tunes, they're not singing. I could turn around and say the sash is called the Irish Molly, really. But, you know, you'd be splitting hairs at that point. But funny enough, I was with Andy McCartney on the day. The first couple of bands comes on or whatever way it worked. They're playing Irish traditional tunes, Irish jigs and stuff like that. The whole thing did pass off passed off well. Um, but as I say, that gave me an inkling into, into that sort of thought process where people we are dealing with will listen to your point of view, whether they are interested in it or not, but they will give you the chance to put that point of view over, which is one of the reasons that the bands forum decided that when the invitation came to speak at the fringe meeting at the Ardesh, we weren't given any criteria of what they wanted to speak about. We were allowed to go and speak on points that we wanted to raise. And at that point in time, it was about educational underachievement. It was about the problems with the Arts Council. Now, both of those ministers were Sinn Féin ministers, who we had met previously mm. as part of our deliberations. The big thing for us is we were going to get the chance to speak there, maybe rather naively, 
I didn't actually think that it would have turned into the media circus that it did, but probably that is was naive on my part. Every TV wanted it on, every radio show wanted this thing was so bizarre that, that the, people couldn't understand it. Well, what's the big deal here? You know, we're doing a fringe meeting at a, at a party political conference. People who are elected and, and are in our government, the, the ironic thing about it was we had offered it to everybody else as well. Nobody else asked us, or nobody has asked us since. The you union, offered it to the, the, the unionists, the unionist parties, the alliance party, the SDLP. I come and speak at yours. They, and they people, haven't taken that the, up. The only people who took up the offer was Sinn Féin. So no. you offered it out to the parties, and the only party we, took we, it up. We was turned Sinn Féin. out and that we would speak to anyone. You know, we we were happy to speak to anyone. We were actually very interested in speaking to these groups because at that point in time we were trying to establish not only ourselves, but we were trying to establish what way does this work? I, I couldn't figure it out at all. Everybody seemed to be working for themselves. There seemed to be no joined up thinking ever. I couldn't figure out what, what the big problem was. Again, coming from where I was, where everything was about cooperation and coordination. That's what it was all about in the building trade and stuff for me. Cooperation and coordination of getting things to work. I was going to meetings for the sake of going to meetings. People were saying, we need to do this and we need to do that. I was going to a meeting a month later and people were saying, we need to do this, we need to do that. And I was thinking, I said that a month ago. Does anybody mark down here and say, who's going to do that? Yeah, for the, mo the it, model you're used to as a I, builder or being I, involved in the building game, this is done. You know, yeah, says, this is done on so, top of it. Somebody says, you know, this phase will be ready in three weeks' time. You'll be on Tuesday, you'll be on Wednesday, you'll be on Friday, you'll be on next Monday. When I was going to these meetings and they were talking about underachievement and young presidents, and we're having meetings about it, and people are saying, we need to do this and we need to do that. Nobody was doing anything. When I got the opportunity then to speak directly to John O'Dowd, or speak directly to Carol McCullough, in front of the national media, and directly say, why is your department not doing this? Why is your department not doing that? That's an opportunity that you don't get often. And they're accountable at that point. The problem was that wasn't that comfortable in the public speaking. When I got there, it went great for me, like, you know, but didn't like the television stuff, didn't like all that. Again, we had the sitting on the fence by, there was some outright opposition to it. I got quite a bit of personal abuse from one or two people. Sellout, Lundy, uh, no, that no, kind no, of stuff. No, not like that. No, not just that bad, you know. Not down those lines. Politicians would not come out, Protestant side, and condemn it. Simply by using the fact that, oh, you know, we feel you're being used because of... Uh, there's an election coming up, but at the same time, those same politicians use it every opportunity they can themselves, they promote themselves. Subsequently, Jerry O'Hara lost votes, so I can more or less say I actually scuppered their plans rather than help them. You know? <laughs> uh, you know, and at the end of the day, I feel that we, when push comes to shove at the question and answer session at the end, uh, it was quite striking for us. To, uh, it was, I think it was really important for us to go for two reasons. One, was the political machine that they had, seeing a political machine in action. Anyway, I always knew that Sinn Féin were well organised and stuff, but they see it in action as an eye-opener, as a sight to behold. The amount of young, talented people running around uh, as activists in the party, highly articulate, easily engageable. The amount of corporate stuff, Bank of Ireland, Ulster Bank, Royal College of Nursing, all had stalls at it, you know. I'm thinking, if people are thinking you're coming here and they're expecting people there and, and, and balaclavas and, and hoods and stuff. This was a corporate event, the like of which I'd never seen before. A massive corporate event. A massive event. corporate yeah. event. And the organisation of it and the media aspect of it, uh, the interview aspect of it, the whole thing. They see that in action, gives you a sense of if you want to 
are used to you know, what you're up against uh, politically, what you would be up against, seeing it the way they think. And as I say, they give us the opportunity to do it. But the other interesting aspect of the thing <coughs> to me was the political split, you know, where I always look at it and say, Sinn Féin are a single party, single identity, single thought process. I saw, even from my brief appearance at that day, the factional aspect of it, the Belfast factional aspect, the Derry City factional aspect of it, and the rest of the country factional aspect, where people from the south were totally magnanimous. Response to yourself? Do what I said. People from Belfast, because some parts of it were critical, were typical Belfast, who think that no good comes out anywhere bar Belfast. People so they were hostile or critical of what you're they, saying? They, no, I would say they were, didn't say they were critical. They, when you look at it, Jerry Adams, Martin McGuinness was there. Carol Nicholson was Jerry there. Jerry Kelly, the whole, the whole gambit, you know. Uh, Barbara De Bruyne. Quite an audience there. And it was quite an opportunity to put your point of view over. One of the reasons you said you were interested in doing this was to hold those two ministers, the Minister of Culture, the Minister of education accountable. Has anything emerged for the Londonderry Bands Forum or for the bands in general as a <coughs> well, as a result you know, of you being there? In education, John O'Dowd has endorsed uh, the work that we do to the schools. I have met the Western Education Library Board, uh, Western Education and Library Board Music. You know, so by twenty seventeen, some of the stuff will be in the school curriculum. John O'Dowd has also he has also approved and funded through Brady, through the Solace Centre, again the outreach into the schools, the teaching of uh, Highland bagpipes, the teaching of dance, that's all funded for three years in advance and this is all to do with our pushing that aspect forward for ourselves. Uh, James Key from the Solace and I are on the Arch Council Traditional Committee now, directly involved. Okay the money's not back in action for the bands but one thing I will say here is when the DUP also held those positions things weren't weren't much better. Matter of fact, we've probably, in the last two years through Carol Nicolan, have probably achieved more, uh, had more recognition, and she is very aware of exactly what we do. We haven't got everything that we want, but we have got a fair here. And you're working on it, and Derek. We're, and we're continuing to work on it. Missed an episode of the Hollywell Trust or Hollywell Testimonies podcast? Well, thanks to our on-demand service on SoundCloud.com and Apple Podcasts, you can catch up on all of our previous episodes, including the Caroline Brown testimony. And he was on the right-hand side of the street. Now, this foot patrol's coming, but I'm walking, but he makes his way up on the right-hand side of the street that he sort of were leveled together. And he turns around and he goes, it's not be long, he says, until you and I, he says, will be walking down the street together, hand in hand. The Civic Activism Podcast with the theme, A City with Young People in Mind. The percentage of 100 young people who wanted to leave was 95. So 95 out of 100 young people did not see their future in Derry and did not intend to come back, which means that for your generation, <laughs> there's not going to be anybody left. And for those that are here, there won't be a voice to speak on your behalf. Or our first testimonies podcast, an interview with Seamus Heaney. All of that kind of made me feel a desire for, I don't know if I would call it now revenge, although I think an element of it was revenge. Uh, I think a big part of it was just the need to see some form of justice, some kind of atonement for what had been done to me as an individual, to my family and to what I would see as our community, our society.
Just go to soundcloud.com and search for Hollywell Trust or go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes and search for Hollywell Trust. Thank you very much, Derek. And I would like to thank our funders, the Central Good Relations Fund, the Reconciliation Fund of the Department of Foreign Affairs, Derry and Straban District Council, and of course, the Community Relations Council. Thank you all. You can stay up to date with us on our social media pages on Facebook, look for the Hollywell Trust, and on Twitter, it's at Hollywell T.